Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Happy New Year, everybody. This is Diana. I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode all about decluttering with Debbie and myself. And I just want to remind you that I have a workshop coming up at Yoga Soup in Santa Barbara on psychological flexibility. It's Sunday, February 17th. Uh, from 1 to 3.30. So go on to yogasoup.com and check it out. Curious what psychologists chat about over coffee? We are three clinical psychologists who love to discuss the best ideas from psychology. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. In this podcast, we explore the psychological principles that we use in our clinical work. And we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. It's a brand new year. Happy New Year, everyone. One thing that's perpetually on my to-do list is to simplify my life and to clear out some of the clutter in my house. I do occasionally grow through these little tidying bursts where I get rid of some stuff, but I really never seem to get much real progress on this. And I know I'm not the only one. I once gave a talk on behavior change at my workplace, and the most common issue that people in, who were listening to my talk wanted to work on was decluttering certain zones of their house where clutter had accumulated. So I think it's a fairly common experience. Um, Diana, we both got a jump start this year on our resolutions to simplify our spaces because in order to prep this episode, we both started doing some work on this and just reflecting and reading about it and trying to, to come up with some strategies for clearing out the clutter in the new year. Yeah, I think that this actually started for me almost a full year ago when we had the fires. And I talked about this in the post-traumatic growth episode where we had to really narrow our lives down to what we could fit on our coffee table and what our kids could fit into two small shoe boxes. And that was a real wake up call around for all of us about all the stuff that we've accumulated that didn't really matter and the few things that were important to us. And the most thing that was important thing to us was obviously our family and us being together and being safe. It became more relevant again for us this summer where we traveled to a one room cabin from the early 1800s way up in Colorado. And it was so nice and peaceful just to have this really simple cabin space where there wasn't a whole lot in it and just being able to spend time together. And I think the combination of those two things motivated us as a family to slow things down a bit, started listening to the Slow Your Home podcast, which we really enjoy. And starting to almost take a bit more of a minimalist approach and lifestyle. Although we're not fully there, I do like some of the um, principles around minimalism. Well, I'm inspired by your efforts toward minimalism, Diana. For me, it's not quite what I'm aiming for. I think I'm aiming for more of a middle ground between where I am now and minimalism. I, I 
it just doesn't feel like me. I think I feel really at home surrounded by books and kids artwork and that kind of thing. But that said, I would really like to simplify so that I'm headed in the direction of minimalism so that my life is less consumed by managing all the stuff in my house. So today we're going to talk about some strategies to help all of you manage your stuff. And we're going to draw from behavioral psychology and habit formation. There's a lot of psychological processes that underline our patterns of both creating clutter and our psychological factors that are involved in our resistance to clearing our spaces. We're not going to tackle hoarding disorder in this episode because it's more severe and, and it has more of a complex and nuanced psychological treatment approach. The strategies we're going to talk about more apply to most of us that struggle with clutter and too much stuff in general. you're struggling perhaps with a hoarding disorder, we'd really recommend that you go seek out some mental health treatment. So we live in a world of materialism and actually the fact that we even need to declutter is in a way a privilege. We just as a modern society have too many, too much stuff, too many material possessions. Um, and one thing that's been shown in a little bit of research, although I think that it would be an area where hopefully there could be more research to, to take a look at this, is that people, especially women, tend to have a little bump in their cortisol level, which is a stress hormone, when they're dealing with the clutter in their house. So when they're tidying up and trying to face the clutter, it's stressful. That makes sense because I feel that when I'm like addressing a big you know, rat's nests of clothes or kids' toys, I can feel the stress in my body physiologically. Absolutely. It, overwhelming. it yeah. feels very unpleasant. And Diana, just quickly, what are some of the areas that you struggle the most with, with clutter in your own house? Well, my problem is one of those sort of out of sight, out of mind issues. So that if you were to walk into my home, you'd think it was fairly tidy. But if you were to open any cupboard or closet, things might fall on your head. So I have problems with closets and drawers. And I remember when I was interviewing for my PhD program for a graduate school, the director of the school, one of the interview questions was, how do you, what, if I were to walk into your closet, what would I see? And I was terrified because he was thinking that was sort of a bit of reflection of the chaos in your mind. And I think that is sort of the case for me, especially when I'm feeling chaotic and disorganized internally, my spaces in behind closed doors get a little bit chaotic. So don't come open any cupboards until I'm done with this project. I need to know, did you fess up to that in the interview? <laughs> you know what? I, I think I, you know, I circled around it a bit and okay. made it sound okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's I was an scared, interesting though. interview question. Yeah. yeah. What about for you, Debbie? I think that two areas that are, I find the most difficult, piles of paper. I have all these papers, piles and memorabilia and kids artwork and kids schoolwork and mail that just kind of piles up and I have a really hard time tackling it. And then books. I have so many books and I have a really hard time parting with them. Honestly, I get a little emotionally attached, so I just, it's hard. But what I love about you is you actually frequent the library. You're always sending me little links of all the books that you've collected from the library. So I think you're doing better in that department. I am. I definitely am yeah. using, utilizing my local library and donating books to my local library. I found out they'll take boxes of books for their annual used book sale for a fundraiser. And that makes me feel better about parting with them, knowing they're going to a good cause. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what actually gets in the way and from, it makes decluttering so difficult for you? 
For me, I think there's a couple things that came to mind as I was I was exploring this while I was trying to work on it. One is indecisiveness. I think a lot of times I'll look at something and I'll wave or like, oh, do I need that? I don't know. Da, da, da. Instead of making a decision on the spot, I kind of postpone. I think deciding and taking action, I could get a lot more done. Um, I also just feel like it takes so much time and energy to tackle some of my clutter zones. I can always think of so many more things I'd rather do than spend time dealing with clutter. I just, it doesn't, I find it kind of boring and tedious. So I think that's part of it. It's just not wanting to spend my time and energy. And then guilt. I think sometimes I think, oh, I spent so much money on this. What if I need it later? I hate to waste something. So I get kind of in a guilt trap around possessions. How about for you? What are some of the challenges that you face, Diana? Well, for me, decluttering is not necessarily the problem. I'm, I'm really good at clearing out spaces and sort of the weekend warrior approach to getting rid of stuff, but it's rather the recluttering that's my problem. I can get a space cleaned out, but then I repopulate it with stuff. I don't keep up the habit of uh, keep keeping organized. And so that's actually something that we're going to be talking a lot about in today's episode of how to not only get rid of stuff, but then maintain the habit once you've um, created some space for yourself. Have you taken any steps in this direction, trying to get ready for this episode, Diana? Where are you at? Uh, it's been ups and downs. Uh, you know, we started with actually my partner bought a scanner for all that paperwork, which was really helpful. Using your phone for pictures and a scanner for paperwork is fantastic because we can get, you know, into a paperless mode. And so that was helpful. We worked on uh, the kids' room and the playroom, which was really satisfying, all that junk that we've collected over time. And at the same time, I've also found myself falling back into old habits in particular with my closet. So I, I'm going to need some help and support around that one. How about you, Debbie? We're here for you, Diane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I've, I think the social commitment that I made knowing I was going to talk about it and that we had committed to do this episode did a light, a little bit of a fire for me. So of course I feel like I'm barely getting started. So this is going to go on into the new year for me, but I definitely did tackle some, some areas of the house. I've been avoiding some, the kids closet, some of those piles of paperwork. So I'm, I'm getting there. I'm making some steps. It feels good. And then, I dumped a bunch of stuff off yesterday and I was like, ah, awesome. huh. yeah, you yeah. sent me that picture. That was awesome of your piles. Yeah. And you use the word avoiding, which I think is important because there is an emotional sort of process of having to face some difficult emotions when you're diving into some of these areas. And you may even think about areas of your house that there's sort of like a dark quality of, I don't want to go in there. And so we'll talk a little bit, some strategies with that as well. Absolutely. We all know it's hard to, to tackle some of these things. Behavior change is hard. So we will, that will be a great segue into our suggestion. So let's talk about some of the tips that we're going to give you. We have a top 10 solutions for clearing clutter and creating space in your life. Debbie, why don't you start with number one? Okay. The first tip that we have for clearing the clutter is to start by thinking about the why. So really to do something like this, it's going to be sort of unpleasant at least in the beginning, you need to remember your values about why this is important to you. Sometimes we do these things because we feel like we should or we compare ourselves to other people's, but really what can make it much more meaningful is to remind yourself of the underlying value. 
So to me, having a calmer home environment for my kids, freeing me up to spend the time I would have spent cleaning and tidying and looking for things, just having quality time with my family or doing hobbies that I enjoy more, that really compels me to keep going. Diana, what are some of your reasons why for decluttering? Well, I really relate to this study around cortisol levels and um, lots of clutter around because I have so much more peace of mind when I'm in a clear, clean space. So that's the first why is just for me, I feel calmer when there's less stuff around. And then I think a second why is that I really want to invest more in experiences and less in material things in my life. And uh, being able to, sometimes when we have so much stuff, it, we get bogged down by our stuff as opposed to just being able to be, there's more stuff we have to manage as opposed to just being with people and enjoying people. And then I think the third one is really for environmental reasons. I want to reduce how many single use items and plastic, how much plastic I have and how much plastic I'm using for environmental reasons. And it kind of goes back to thinking about when I was in high school, I did a couple of backpacking trips through Outward Bound, and one of their policies is that you have to pack out everything that you pack in, including an apple core. If you eat an apple, you can't leave it out there. And so that's when I actually started to learn to, I started eating the cores of my apples, which is kind of an odd behavior, but that's where I started doing it. But it made me, it makes me think about what is it that I'm bringing into my home or what is it that, that our, our consumerism has an impact on the environment? And so waking up to some of that, I think also decluttering and creating space contributes to that. So environmental reasons are a strong value of mine. Well, I like that that ties, ties this process to a higher purpose. I think, you know, I mentioned my boxes of books. I donate to the library. That's a cause I really care about, my public library system. And it does feel worthwhile. So I think, you know, there's your big picture value for why you're doing it. But if you can also find a way, you know, I think sometimes charities will accept things like children's, you know, cribs. You can find maybe a local church that works with refugee families or something like that. It feels really good because you feel like that's a way to contribute to something yes. bigger. Yes. The sad state is that half of the stuff that I decluttered from our home and when we took it to the charity, they did not accept. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bad sign. It is. But you know, the state of my stuff. That's but okay. Some things have, have served their purpose and they yes. just in the garbage can. Yes. But to the extent that you can find, yes, a worthwhile cause, that's even yes. better. Absolutely. Okay, so number two is making room for uncomfortable feelings. There's probably a lot of emotions that will show up for you as you start to tackle some of these areas that you've been avoiding. And I really like this quote from the book Slow, which you sent me for my birthday that's connected to the Slow Your Home podcast. She says in the book, when we hold onto, our st onto stuff we no longer need, use, or even want, we're choosing one form of discomfort over another. We're choosing to remain stuck, cluttered, and overwhelmed instead of asking the difficult questions or acknowledging the fact that we have changed and time has moved on. And some of the emotions that may show up for you that are uncomfortable are things like fear. Sometimes we avoid getting rid, rid of stuff because we're afraid what we would have to feel if we let it go. We fear that we may need them someday. We fear or feeling deprived in the future. We may fear what we'd have to look at if we went into that closet or book or box, maybe old letters or old memories. We also avoid the feeling of grief. Sometimes we hold on to sentimental objects because we're avoiding grieving having lost somebody and we think the object is sort of connected to that person and it's difficult to let go of that object. 
but hold on to the memory. We also maybe grieve a part of ourself from the past. So maybe it's hard to grieve, let go of your younger self. Maybe you hold on to something because of some clothes that you used to wear decades ago. Yeah, it's a reminder that time is passing us by, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Guilt is another one. We hold on to things. We feel guilty about having purchased something, giving it away. Or maybe someone gave us a gift. And when we were um, cleaning out our kitchen, my kids and my husband had given me one of those. Um, it's like this plastic shaker that you can shake cream in and it turns it into butter. And, you know, I love to make everything from scratch, but oh, there's yeah. a place where I draw the line. <laughs> And I never used it. And I felt so guilty because my kids had given to it, given it to me, but it'd been two years of holding on to this little plastic gizmo. And, and I had to face that feeling of guilt and just say, I haven't used this and give it away. And then finally, overwhelm. I know that's one that you've talked about, Debbie, of just feeling overwhelmed and tackling stuff. It is. I felt I like do one little piece and I look around and I think, oh, how am I going to do all this? Something that's actually kind of helpful, I think, that came from Marie Kondo's book. Do you know that book, Diana? The, mm -hmm. the Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up? Yeah. Yeah. So she suggests that you take each item one at a time and just ask yourself, does this give me joy? So I think that that we could do that. Does this give me joy? And then the flip side of that or more the sort of act approach is, what is the feeling that I'm avoiding facing in letting go of this item? And am I willing to feel that feeling? Am I willing to move into and allow that feeling to show up? You know, I, I want to do a quick side note on the KonMari method from that yes. book. That's what they call it, KonMari. To me, I don't know what you think about it, Diana. It's so extreme. So she, to me, her whole idea gets a little bit goofy. <laughs> She, well, I heard she like takes it down to take everything out of your purse every single day when you right. get home, like every and single thing out of your purse. You can't keep any appliances on your kitchen counter, even your yeah. coffee maker. So you have to always be putting it in and out from a cupboard. Yeah. yeah. So I can't say that I really recommend her overall approach, but I do like that piece of it of kind of taking each item and thinking through, you know, what it would it feel like to, to give this up? Is this an item I care about? And to make your decision there. And there's also some, you know, thinking about it actually may be beneficial for you to have some items on your counter if it's in support of another behavior change. So for example, I keep my vitamins out so that I can see them as a reminder to take them. And when I put them away, I don't take them. So you can also be a little bit more, uh, I guess it's about being intentional of what you're placing where and why you're placing it there to help support the behavior changes or the person that you want to be and using your environment to support that. That's yeah. right. And do what works for you. Right. Yeah. Okay. The third suggestion that we have is to unhook from your unhelpful thoughts. Often as you're going through this process, your mind will sort of trip you up because you'll start thinking these thoughts that get in the way. I made a list of a few thoughts that showed up for me as I've been working on decluttering. And so maybe take a listen and see if any of these sound familiar to you listeners. Okay. I don't have time to declutter. It's really not that important to me. I'll never get through all this stuff. I'll just do it later tonight. I'll just do it tomorrow, etc. <laughs> what if I need this later? What if I regret getting rid of it? I'm too tired to do this. Or other things are more important to me than decluttering. So those are just a few examples, but there could be other ones that we really recommend that you be on the lookout for the thoughts that tend to appear and not let those derail you. 
I love the line that our mind can be the worst motivational speaker. <laughs> and if you think about it, if you were asking your kids to clean up their room and then you were telling them, go clean up your room, but it's really not that important, or go clean up your room, but you could also do it tomorrow, or go clean up your room, but I know you're really tired today, that they would be totally derailed, right? And we give our thoughts a lot of power. We let them push us around. And that's why it's really helpful to get clear on noticing what are the common thoughts that are showing up for you? How are they pushing around and, and shifting your behavior? And can you notice them, unhook from them, and create a little bit of space from them while continuing to stay on task with what it is that your intention is? Yeah, you might even want to write down a list of your yeah. top worst offenders, those thoughts that just persist, just so that when they show up, you see them for what they are. Oh, yeah, here it comes again. Absolutely. Right. Number four is take committed action. So once you've discovered your why and the feelings that you're willing to feel and the thoughts that may derail you, you're ready actually to start taking action. And we're actually going to do a whole episode on committed action with G DJ Moran in the new year. So that will be a nice one to listen to. But the idea is, is that you want your action to link to your vision of the type of person that you want to be. So for example, if you want to be the type of person who is an environmentalist, you care about the environment. And then if you were to walk around and follow an environmentalist throughout their day, what would be some of the habits and behaviors that you'd see that person doing? How would they be recycling or reusing or not purchasing or organizing their life around that? So thinking about what is the type of person you want to be in relationship to stuff and then what would the specific behaviors look like? Once you've got sort of that vision, you can make a plan. And I think a plan is going to have two parts to it. One is the big areas of decluttering that you are going to tackle one piece at a time. So maybe you start small with like your bathroom vanity. And how are you going to declutter that, move things into different piles of keep or give away? But then the second part of that plan are what are the actual habits that you're going to use to support the, the, um, and maintain the, the clear space. And we're going to talk about those in the tiny habits section. I think another important part of committed action is reinforcement. So there's actually intrinsic reinforcement in decluttering. It just feels good to get rid of things. And there's probably some evolutionary reasons behind this. Humans might be the type of critter that needs to keep their spaces or their caves clean. <laughs> it makes sense. It's like disgust, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but there's also sometimes important to reinforce ourselves during the process so that we can be motivated to continue the process. And one strategy is to use the, the skill of imagery. And I think this one can be pretty, particularly helpful because what, with imagery, what we can do is bring the long-term positive outcome a little bit closer up to ourselves. So an example of using imagery for me, one area that I really struggle with, my closet is my sweater area. <laughs> Tennessee just shoved them in the shelves. And so the imagery that I've been trying to use is if I fold up a sweater and I put it back, imagining myself getting ready for work tomorrow and having a nice sweater that's unwrinkled to put on. And that's a bit of a, a reinforcement of just bringing that imagery up. How do you use uh, reinforcement for some of your um, strategies? Well, I've admitted that I don't really find decluttering enjoyable. So when I have time to do a, a little decluttering blitz, I try to make it more pleasant for myself. I usually either make a cup of tea or pour myself a seltzer. That's something I enjoy. And then I either put on some music 
something nice to listen to or a podcast, you know, a little psychologist off the clock or something just to sort of make the actual process of doing it less unpleasant. Yeah. So yeah. that's actually pairing the reinforcement with the behavior, not waiting till actually the behavior is done pairing it up to make the behavior more enjoyable. One of the things that we do around that is we love uh, to play a song when we're, when our kids are cleaning up and we are really into Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like the six minutes long and it has a nice variation of like it builds and telling the kids, okay, we're going to play this song and it's kind of a game. And by the end of the song, we're going to have this space clear. And it gives that motivational, fun music can be really motivating. So thinking about things like that to kind of spice it up and make it more, make it more fun for yourself. Then you could also just do good old fashioned reinforcement at the end of your behavior. So clean, clean out the closet. I'm going to take myself out to dinner tonight because who wants to cook after a day of cleaning? Or even, you don't want to go too far with this, but you could also say, you know, because I cleaned out my closet and I, you know, got rid of five pairs of socks with holes in them, I'm going to buy myself one really nice replacement pair of socks. I think you don't want to go too far where you're recluttering, so yeah. to speak, but to maybe like allow yourself a little nicer item yeah. in exchange for the decluttering that you did. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, our next suggestion is to engage with a partner or someone else for social support. I think it can actually really be helpful to engage in this process with family members or whoever is with you, a friend maybe who can help out. I had a friend once who was brutally honest and she'd say, I just found a pair of plaid pants in your closet. You've got to get rid of those. <laughs> and it actually really helped because I'd kind of be like, okay, fine. Um, you know, any egregious offender, she would just tell me. So yeah, find some social support. It can actually help too, to make a public commitment. So, you know, building up to this podcast recording the day before I got rid of four bags of clothes and took a box of books to the library because I knew I was going to, I didn't want to be a fraud. I knew I was going to have to talk to you about this and I didn't want to disappoint my podcast partner. So maybe you could make a, a commitment, tell somebody you're going to do it or post a before picture on social media so that you have an after picture to come because making a public commitment actually makes us more likely to engage. And if you are looking for a partner, you can also find inspiration through something like a podcast, the Slow Your Home podcast that you mentioned earlier. There's some great books that can be your companion to give you inspiration. We're going to post some links to some of those on our show notes for today's episode. Yes. Okay. And number six is tiny habits that I had mentioned. So tiny habits actually comes from the uh, BJ Fogg, a professor at Stanford. And we did a whole episode on habit formation. And so go back and listen to that one because it's a fun one to listen to. But tiny, the idea behind tiny habits is that your clutter, the state of your house is the sum of your daily habits. And James Clear, who wrote the book Atomic Habits, says that the results in our lives are lagging measure of our habits. So what I mean by that is the result of your health is a lagging measure of your daily patterns around how you've eaten, how you've moved your body, how you exposed yourself to toxins. The result of your relationships are a lagging measure of what you've uh, put into your relationships and how you've worked on them. And the same is true for the state of our homes. And what James Clear also talks about is how habits are actually designed as a means to automate solutions to our daily problems. So we're 
every day our mind is out there trying, it's a problem solving machine trying to solve problems. And it comes up with quick solutions that are easy solutions to the problem. So for example, you're coming home from work, you have your work clothes on and you're going to change into your yoga pants. Now you have a problem of what to do with your work clothes. And so your mind most likely has already on automated for you without you thinking about it most likely, or putting a lot of thought into it, either some solution of, throw your work clothes on the chair or throw them on the floor or put them in the laundry or maybe hang something up that hasn't been um, gotten dirty. Now, what we want to do is slow down that process enough so that we have more choice around the solution and automate a new solution, a new habit that aligns with your values and with what, what you want it to, your life to look like. And so I want to do a little uh, example of this with you, Debbie. Okay. 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 I want you to think about an area of your life, <laughs> your home or office, that is particularly cluttered. What is that? Got it. It's a no-brainer. My desk down in the basement. Okay. Of my desk. Okay. Yeah. So can you vision your desk right now and some of the things that are on it? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. List some of the things that are just kind of go for rapid fire, some of the things, things okay. on it. Okay. Books, pens, kids' schoolwork, papers my yeah. camera. Yeah. Okay. And so if you were to go through each one of those things, you could link each one of those things on your desk to a way that your brain has automated a solution to the problem. So you have a pen in your hand mm -hmm. and the solution to the problem that you've created, you've automated is do what with it when you're done with it? Just toss it on the desk. Yeah. Yeah. What would be a solution to that problem that you actually would prefer? Put it away in the drawer. You prefer to put it away in the drawer. Okay. So kids pay papers solution to that. You have that problem. Kids come home, empty their backpack, you have papers. What is the solution to the problem that your mind has automated? Well, first I leave it sitting around in the kitchen for a while mm -hmm. and then I get sick of it being there. So I just gather a bunch of papers that I put yes. all over the house and I shove them all in a heap on my desk. Yeah. So you've automated the solution of the problem, the papers all over the house to just put it on your desk. I'll deal uh -huh. with that later. Right. Probably with the thought, I'll deal with that later. So, exactly. what would be? A, oh, yeah. yes. So, what would be a solution that you would prefer? Um, to toss most of them, and then you know the selected ones that I want to keep, either to work on later or to save, I will neatly file away somewhere. Okay. So that's a little bit more complex of a yeah. solution. So let's start with the pen because I actually think the tiny habit of the pen, the first one we could actually tackle, it'll be, it'll be a bit longer because we'd have to break it down into steps. But the solution of the pen is a perfect example of a tiny habit because the habit is you have the pen in your hand, you don't, you know, you're done with it, you just throw it on the desk and it's easier to do that. And what you'd rather would do would be put it in a drawer. So if we were to link, now we have a cue, which is the pen in your hand, and we were linking to that new behavior of putting it in the drawer, right? Mm -hmm. What would be the reinforcer that you could do if you put it in the um, drawer? I don't know. Uh, and a reinforcer could be something you say to yourself. Okay. It could be uh, just, you know, self-acknowledgement. It could be. I mean, I could just be like, oh, good work. My desk looks better. Yeah. You could do that as a reinforcer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you could do the same. So it's a tiny habit is something that small of like, okay, now for this week, every time I have a pen in my hand, I'm going to notice the pen in my hand. I'm going to put it in the drawer and then I'm going to say nice work. And I'm going to do that, you know, for the rest of the week. And it would be starting that it literally is that small. And then you'd move on to the next thing on your desk, papers. 
What am I going to do with these papers? What is the new tiny habit that I'm going to do around these papers? Yeah. So number eight is give everything a home. And sometimes that home may be at your neighbor's house. So let's start with giving everything a home. It's really important that all your stuff has a place because if it has a home, then when it's out of its home, you know where it goes, right? It's really helpful with cleaning up and it's also important to uh, share where the home of things, where things belong with other family members. So where does your backpack go at the end of the day? Where do you put your purse? We had this junk drawer in our, in our kitchen and what I found was that the nature of all the things in the junk drawer were like extra keys and buttons and random screws were there because they didn't have a home. And so I just would throw them in the drawer because I didn't know where else to place them. So it's important to make some places that everything has a home. Diane, ever since you told me about this, this I have been looking around my house and realizing that that is a big problem for me. A lot of my stuff, I just don't have a good place for it. Either my drawers are too full or I just don't know where to put it. So I want to thank you for sharing that suggestion because I think I need, I have some work to do there. Yeah, we actually have a little song in our house with our kids that says, this doesn't belong here. Where does it go? And so we can go around the house and sing that as opposed to saying like, go put this there or this there or this there. It just, we all have this acknowledgement that we know where things belong. And when they're out of place, it's easy that's, for the, you know, for us to point that out. Go find adorable. a home for them. Yeah. That's adorable. Yeah. So the second part of that is the home may be at your neighbor's. And what I mean by that is sharing and borrowing things that you know that other people have. So for example, my mom has this beautiful glass water container that has a little spout thing that you can turn the nozzle of when you have a party and fill it up with water. So I don't have to own one of those things that takes up a lot of space because I know I can borrow from her just a few times of the year that I need it. Or my neighbor has, you know, muffin pins, pans that I borrow that we can share things rather than all of us having to own everything. And this also decreases materialism. So think about some things that maybe you'd want to go in sharing with with other people that you only use, you know, every so often. It also increases your neighborhood bond. I just borrowed an onion from my neighbor and it's nice. It's like, Hey, yeah. I'm out of onions. And instead of going to the store, I'll just go say hello to my neighbor. Right. And that makes a lot more sense that we should have more of a community in that way. Absolutely. Okay. Our next suggestion, pause before you purchase. You know, this concept of recluttering is just going to keep happening if you keep buying more stuff and spending more money on material goods. So I have a true confession here, which is that I'm a total sucker for gift shops at museums and national parks and that kind of thing. And what ends up happening a lot of times I buy little trinkets, little things, especially for my kids. They always beg me for these little you know, tiny toys and doohickeys. And they just end up cluttering everything up and then I have to declutter them later. Diana, do you do this too? Yes, I have this problem. But now that I, that I have the image of where is its home, when I buy that stuff, I think about where is its home going to be? And do I really want that to have a home in my home? <laughs> you know, it's going to be on some surface that I don't want to have to look at. So that's actually helped me a bit with that. There's no home here. There's well, no home you, for this. <laughs> if you take a look at the behavior of buying things, often we do it because it's going to give us a little momentary burst of joy or happiness. But we know something about the human mind and happiness, which is that it sort of habituates. So we know that people who have major life events, even something big like winning the lottery or getting a traumatic spinal cord injury will, after a couple of years, return back to their baseline level of happiness. And so with something small, like buying a little trinket at a gift shop, 
that's going to be even faster. So even after a couple of minutes, five minutes, half an hour, something like that, we're going to go back to our baseline level of happiness. It just does not last. We're much better off investing in the experience itself and just really being happy right there, enjoying the moment and investing in positive experiences for the future. So don't look at purchasing as the way that's going to keep you happy. Instead, just think about how this buying will impact you in the long term. Use your frontal lobe to think about, is this consistent with my values? Is this something that's I'm really going to want five years from now. And if not, maybe you could just consider not buying it. Leave it there, enjoy the experience, and don't bring it home. Absolutely. Okay, so number 10 is prepare for lapses and that lapses don't mean relapses. So when they're looking at models of change, relapses are actually built into De Clemente's model of change. And a way that we can prepare is that acknowledging that this is a process, not an outcome. So this part of the process is just continuing to make shifts and adjustments in the same way that when a plane flies from New York to California, it doesn't completely stay on course. It's going to make adjustments along the way. And so are you. There's going to be times where there's holidays or uh, stressful times at work where you will go back to your old automated habits. And notice when you've strayed, and it's about noticing when you've strayed before you've strayed so far, it's really hard to come back. So noticing those small shifts out of alignment and then readjusting back again, that you can pick up this, these strategies at any point over and over and over again. Yeah, I think it's helpful to look at it as a process that will continue and to just keep at it. So our top 10 strategies to help you clear some space in your life for the new year, just to kind of go back over them one more time, are number one, thinking about the why. Number two, making room for uncomfortable feelings. Number three, unhooking from your thoughts. Number four, taking committed action in alignment with your values. Number five, engaging with a partner or someone for social support. Number six, thinking about tiny habits and creating tiny habits in your life. Number seven, avoid willpower depletion. Number eight, give everything home. It might be at your neighbor's house. Number nine, pause before you purchase. And number 10, prepare for lapses. We hope these strategies are helpful to everyone. Good luck with your simplifying and decluttering and slowing down. Yes. And write to us right on Facebook to let us know how things are going for you. And there's some strategies that you try that might help out others. We look forward to hearing from you. Yes. And we wish you all a joyful, peaceful, and meaningful new year. Happy new year. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com.